Well, that's quite an event. Normally, we uh, stand to hear the scripture reading and sit for the sermon, but today we're going to stand for the sermon, okay? Uh, At least this sermon I'm about to read, this is Peter's sermon that he preached in the house of Cornelius. So we're going to stand as we read that, as you hear this sermon, but I'll let you sit down while we talk about it. Let's be standing, please. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. May God bless the reading of his word. Oh, well, it's that time again. If you've been following along in your bulletin, we've come down to sermon. I've already been asked by one of our members today how long the sermon was going to be. I promised Ron Gay I would not embarrass him by mentioning his name. Fortunately for you guys, you live in the age of 20-minute sermons. Some of you span an age that was longer than that. I've heard people say, well, sermons should be 20 minutes today because that's how long a 30-minute television program is, that there's 20 minutes of story, so we're kind of programmed to just listen for about 20 minutes. I I don't buy that because, after all, there are hour-long programs and you go to the movies and you sit for two hours. So why can't sermons be like movies? Oh, uh-oh, we, we already got people leaving. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. All right. Seriously, though, I do wonder about this, the future of preaching. You know, preaching is an ancient form of communication. Having one person stand up and to address people concerning what God has to say. And preaching has always been a main staple within the church, beginning back with the day of Pentecost. In fact, even before that, with God's people, the prophets preached sermons to the people. Moses, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, is his sermon to the people before he passed away. 
And uh, the prophets, their books are just collections of their sermons. And we in the church have always felt like that to speak the Word of God uh, and to hear the Word of God uh, involved the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was in that process and uh, opening people's hearts to the needed message uh, of the people. Uh, but then we live in an age of technology now, so the question becomes, how do you preach? Do you, do you just stand up and talk? Or, you know, there's many times here we throw things up on the screen and have you follow along. Sorry, don't have any pictures today, but uh, it's, it's a real struggle. But we still believe in preaching because it is preaching that first set the church on fire. Now, we're going to have a sermon today. I wonder how many sermons you've heard before. I was kind of thinking about that today or earlier in the week, and I did a little math, and I think a conservative estimate for me, if you let me count the sermons I've also delivered, would be about 6,000. Uh, that's taking about 100 a year and multiplying, well, anyway, uh, you can multiply by whatever number <laughs> that you might want to come up with. Uh, however... Be sure and add an extra one because today you've already heard one sermon that I read to you. I read Peter's sermon that he preached in the house of Cornelius. If you happen to be reading through the book of Acts, this is really the, the fifth sermon in the book of Acts. Uh, you've already had four other sermons, three by Peter and one by Stephen. However, the sermons that come before this in the book of Acts were not preached to you. If you had been alive when Peter preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost, you would not have heard that sermon. You would not have been invited to come to that sermon. In fact, you probably would not have even been allowed to hear that sermon because the first sermons in the book of Acts were preached to people of the Jewish nation, and then a little later to the Samaritans as well. And you don't qualify for that, I'm assuming. I don't think there's many of us, if any of us in this room, that really belong to the nation of Israel as defined in the, book of, in the Old Testament and in the early part of the New Testament. So really, as you're reading through Acts, you don't have a sermon preached to you until this one. And here it is, the first sermon preached to people like us. It took a lot to get Peter to preach this sermon because he's preaching to people he thought he would never preach to. In fact, it took God three visions, or I guess if you want to be more accurate, one vision three times to get Peter to go to the house of Cornelius. And it really took an angel coming to Cornelius to get him to send for Peter. And then Cornelius had to tell him about the story of the angel coming and telling him to send for Peter. Took all these things for Peter to decide that it was okay to preach to these people. Well, these people, that's us. We're the ones that were different. So this sermon is of extreme importance to us because it's the first sermon ever preached to us. People who are different. People who were not a part of the inside group. So for those of us who have heard thousands of sermons, 
It's important to hear this sermon again so that we can understand what it is that is of first importance to people like us. And to others sitting here today who perhaps have not heard that many sermons, but you feel a little estranged or different or far away, then this is the perfect sermon for you to hear too. Because when Peter preached it, he was preaching to people who had not seen Jesus, who did not really know the story of Jesus, and as of yet had not been included within the people of God. So we want to take a while and just go back through and notice the major points that Peter makes as he's preaching to us for the first time. Now, I didn't do it again, Brian. I was going to time the reading of this. I meant to do that all week long, and I never did it. I don't know how long it took me to read those 10 verses out of Acts chapter 10. Uh, It couldn't have been more than a minute, minute and a half, maybe at the most. I have a feeling that Peter preached a little longer than that. But what we have here is a summary of the important points. And so, therefore, we want to make sure that we know those points as well. So you guys are fortunate. You came to church today to hear, well, I don't know why. You you came and you're going to have to hear a sermon. And isn't it neat that it's the first sermon that was ever preached to anyone like you? Here we go. The first thing that Peter says is that he realizes for the first time that there is no such thing as an unclean person. Wow, I need to hear that too. There is no such thing as a person who cannot be accepted by God. Now, it took a lot for God to convince him of that. You remember, those of you who've read the book of Acts many times, the story right before this where Peter was asleep and God sent a vision to him, and in the vision, he let down out of heaven this, this uh, whole bundle of unclean and clean animals. And he told Peter, why don't you kill some of these animals and eat them? And Peter said, well, I don't eat unclean animals. And God said, what I have cleansed, don't you dare call unclean. Well, finally, when he gets to the house of Cornelius, it hits him that he had been treating some people as unclean people. And so we need to hear that too, that his first statement is that there are really no unclean people in this world. And perhaps we not only need to hear that so that we break down barriers between us and others, we need to hear it because maybe we're one of those who feels unclean. The first word of the gospel is that everyone can be acceptable to God. That God is not concerned about your nationality. God is not concerned about your status in life. God is really not even concerned anymore about your past. All he cares about is who you are right now. Do you respect him? Do you fear him? And do you have in your heart a desire to do what is right I appreciated what Chris had to say about looking forward to the new year and looking back on the old year and realizing there were times that we got off path. But now for this year, we want to do what's right. 
And that desire to want to be right with God, that gets you in. God accepts anyone, no matter who you have been, and no matter what you feel like is holding you down, God will accept you if you fear him and want to do what is right. The second point he goes on to make is that the message that God has sent to the people through Jesus is a message of peace. Now, as I was reading that, I was convicted, to be quite honest, because here I am, 2,000 years later, still trying to preach, and I don't know how much of my preaching has to do with peace. And yet, as Peter begins his sermon, he said, the message The primary message that God sent through his son Jesus was a message of peace. The message is that we can be at peace with God, with ourselves, and because of that, begin to become peacemakers in the world around us. One of the primary purposes that God had in sending Jesus Christ into this world was simply so that we can do this. You ready? It's okay. It's going to be okay. I can be at peace knowing that God loves me. I can be at peace with myself knowing I've been forgiven. And even though I can't fix everything around me, it's going to be okay. That's the primary message that came through Jesus. And we need to hear that, those of us who are far away and those of us who are different. He goes on to say that this peace comes through Jesus, whom he has appointed to be Lord of all. Now, the people that first heard that message, they knew that word Lord well. Because the people standing in that room listening either were lords or had lords. The word lord means master, ruler, or even owner. And in that society, lord and servant, lord and subject, you were one or the other. Now in our society, we have to kind of work at understanding that a little bit better. Because our society basically teaches us that every individual person stands on his or her own. And we don't have a Lord and Master. But the message of the gospel is we do have a Lord. That there is one that is called upon to be Lord of all and we are called upon to place ourselves under him. To look to him as our master. To look to him as our guide. To look to him for protection in this life. To look to him for sustenance, what we need to make it through this life. And so the word of the gospel of peace came through the one whom God has appointed to be your Lord and to be my Lord. Then he goes on to say, we need to know more about this man, Jesus, and what he did during his ministry. It's fascinating to me how, as he goes through the sermon, he throws in little bits and pieces about what Jesus did. It began with his baptism. Did you notice that? And that's normative. One of the main reasons Jesus was baptized was to let us know that that's where we begin too. 
That's where our ministry begins too. That's where our journey with God begins in the waters of baptism. And so Jesus' ministry began with baptism. And then he was empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And he went about doing good. Now, why did Peter tell them that? Well, because we need something to do too, don't we? We need something to be about. We need a reason to be. And he said Jesus' reason to be in his life was under the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and to do good. And he went on to say that he healed those who were oppressed by the devil. Now, I don't think that's a, a, a just thrown in there either, that that's an important point too, that he wants us to realize that there is evil in this world. We can never be totally at friends with the world. We, we can't be friends with the world. We can't be at, at, at ease with the world. We always have to have our guard up because this world is constantly trying to chip away at us and get us to think things and to do things, to be deceived in ways and thinking that this is a better way to live or that's a better way to live. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that not only is there good in the world, there is also evil in the world. And that we are constantly on the lookout for that and trusting in the power through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to heal us from the times that we run into it, to especially heal us from the times when we embrace it and hold it close to us. He goes on to say that Jesus' death was a significant event. Even though by this time, Jesus had died about three or four years ago, that that death continued to be an event in the lives of people who were probably not even aware of it at the time it happened and may yet not have even heard about it. But there's something about what happened on that hill right outside of Jerusalem whenever they nailed him to the cross that changed not only human history, but you as well. And Peter preaches that the death of Jesus Christ is significant in your life. Now, later on, the apostle Paul will talk about, that's all I want to talk about. That's all I want to teach is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as we read his his writings and think about all that that means to us. But it's interesting to me that in Peter's sermon, or at least the summary we have here of Peter's sermon, the death is mentioned as significant, but he moves quickly on to the resurrection. Because that's what we need to hear too. That even though Jesus died, that three days later, God raised him from the dead. And that is so significant because that means that we begin to catch a glimpse that this world is not all that we have. And this life that we have is not all that we have. You young folks, you've got, we pray and hope that y'all have got decades ahead of you. And that you're going to have wonderful lives that you totally enjoy. But I want to tell you something. You go talk to some of us that have already lived decades. And we're going to tell you how fast it goes. (laughs) Doesn't it? I got any nods out there? It goes quickly, doesn't it? And to know that that's not it. That's not all. That God created me to be able to live with him forever. And that the proof of that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that apostles even offer proof that Jesus raised from the dead. He said, because we are witnesses of it. We saw it. Not only did we see him, we knew for a fact he died. 
We knew for a fact we saw him again alive. We even sat down and ate with him. Now, that's impressive to me because these guys are going to stick with that story all the way through. Not a single one of them ever renounces that. And does anyone know how the apostles died? Did they die in a hospice facility surrounded by family loving on them? No. They died by crucifixion. Some of them were flayed alive, their skin peeled off, all the time testifying that what we saw was true. One was even drawn and quartered, tied to four horses, and pulled apart. Many were beheaded. And yet, as they went to their executioner, they said, we're telling you this is true. Death has been conquered. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus is now the one, he goes on to say, that's been appointed to assess our lives. And that is wonderful news, too, because as we come to know Jesus, we know he's a a Lord of mercy and grace. I found it interesting, too, that right after he talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he says he's the one that's going to judge the living and the dead. I thought, well, that makes sense. He's been both. He understands the whole process. John tells us he was there whenever life began. And he is the agent of life that can carry us through. And finally, as Peter reaches the end of his sermon, he said, I want you to know one more thing. That those of you who believe this story, those of you who can buy into what I've been telling you, those of you who believe that God loves you, that you are within the reach of God, That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to minister to you, to die for you, to be raised from the dead for you. That this is the message of peace so that you can enjoy this life and the life to come. If you believe in that and live in that reality, then you too shall receive the forgiveness of your sins. And that's his sermon. And as he got to that point, Something happened. The Holy Spirit descended in that room, just like it had on the day of Pentecost. God had to push them a little bit further and say, Peter, these guys need to be a part of my people. And so that day, that entire household put put their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on in baptism and began their story with him. Now, that invitation is still open. That barrier was broken all those years ago. And there is a place in the family of God just for you. And he invites you, whoever you are, and however far away you may feel, he invites you through the power of his son to come to him. Let's stand and sing.